In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who were in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, uh, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Father, we have before us a passage and I pray that you would enlighten our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you would assume control of our hearts and our minds, my tongue, our ears. Lord, speak to us as only you can. Teach us this day. Help us to walk out of this place knowing you better than we did when we walked in. It's our goal. It's our desire. Help us to walk out of here with a newfound passion or with a renewed passion to see people come to know you as we know you. We pray, God, that we understand what our life is all about, who it's wrapped up in, and why it's wrapped up in Him. And so, Lord, we lift up today. We pray that you would bless this service. I also think of brothers that are pouring out their hearts that you've placed in them over this past week. I think of Carl Dixon up there in Calvary Chapel, Sarasota. Lord, speak to him. As you have already used one service, I pray, Lord, that this next service, Lord, you just speak through him miraculously. And pray for Bob Wolfing down in Venice, Chris Tostenson, Pilgrim Benham. Lord, I pray for my friend Keegan O'Connell Jones that is preaching even right now here in Sarasota. I pray, Lord, that you anoint not just our mouths, not just our hearts, but Lord, that you would anoint every pastor that so desperately desires to know your word truthfully and preach it correctly, Lord, and faithfully. And not only just to 
minister to those pastors in this community that are doing that. But Lord, also for every hearer, which would number probably in the thousands of those that are hearing this message today. Not the one that I've prepared, but those that we've all prepared. Pray, Lord, that you would revive us, renew us, unite us. Give us all the same passion to serve you, to love you, and to live for you. Bless these churches today, Lord. Bless these pastors. And bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1. You remember Paul is writing this letter. It's kind of broken up into three different parts, as I shared last week. It's broken up into Paul's qualifications and his explanations of his ministry as an apostle in chapters 1 through 7. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul, he collects a financial gift again for the needs of the saints. Uh, we find out why he collected it there in chapter 9, verse 12. Uh, but in chapters 8 and 9, he, it talks about him collecting this financial gift for the, the saints uh, that are in need. Uh, in, in Jerusalem is where it is that he would be taking that gift. You remember why uh, the church there in Jerusalem needed uh, the gift. You know, there was a season there that the church would need a gift because uh, you remember that when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church there in Jerusalem, they were so blown away at what God had done and that they were so blown away at seeing Jesus ascend into heaven. And again, I'm not a dogmatic on this point, but I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that the reason that... Uh, that so much help, financial help is needed back in the church in Jerusalem is because they were so passionate about what Christ had done. They saw Jesus hanging on a cross. They saw him buried. And then they saw the risen Christ. They heard the angels say, why are you standing here on the day of Pentecost? You know, when he rose up into the, uh, or, you know, in, not on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, uh, after the day of Pentecost, when Jesus rose again into the, into the clouds from the Mount of Olives. Rose up into the clouds and they're all sitting there going, did I just witness Jesus rising up into the clouds? This is blown away and he went out of their sight. And then two men in white angels come along and say, hey, why do you stand there gazing up into the clouds? Do you not know that the one who is received into the clouds will come in so like manner? But don't you have a job to do? Get out there and, and preach the gospel. Go out there and do what it is that, God, that, that he has called you to do. He'll come back in the clouds. He'll be back for you. But be busy about your father's business as he was busy about his father's business. And so here's the thing. What, what has happened is that we found out there in Acts chapter 2 that all of these people that, were, that formed the church there in Jerusalem, some 3,000 souls were added to the church on that day in Acts chapter 2. And, and they were so blown away at what they saw. They were so blown away at what God had done, at, at who Jesus was, at what their realization. Think about it. Put your, mo put, your, put your mind back into that time if you can. You saw the miracles of Jesus. You saw what he did. You saw him put to, to you know, uh, silence the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You saw him do things that nobody had ever done. But then you saw him die on a cross and you're thinking, well, that just totally blows what it is that I thought he was going to be. He died. It just doesn't make sense. This grieves my heart. I thought that he was going to be the king. I thought that he was going to... You remember Jesus talking to the two men on the road of Emmaus. To Emmaus. They're so depressed. 
Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? He said, are you a stranger in these parts, fella? Partner? Don't you know what's going on? Don't you, didn't you see? Haven't you heard? Jesus says, what things? It's Jesus, man. It would happen to him. He doesn't need information. He's just drawing it out of them. And then they're going, oh, it was Jesus. It was, and they started telling him about him. <laughs> they were witnessing to Jesus. <laughs> Which is kind of funny if you think about it. Two guys, totally depressed, totally had their hearts ripped out, are witnessing to Jesus about Jesus. And then Jesus kind of revealed himself a little bit to them and then was taken out of their sight immediately. And it totally transformed their life. But think about if you were back in that time, you saw him die on a cross. You'd be crushed. But then when he rose again from the dead and he hung out with you for around 50 days, And then he was ascended into heaven and he says, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm coming back for you. And then the two angels that you'd never seen before, these guys go, hey, get going. He's going to come back just like he left. You go, wait a minute. It was three days before. He was gone from us for three days. Well, how long is he going to be gone? Maybe a week this time? I don't know. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm going to give everything that I have to the poor because number one, I know that that's, Jesus is sacrificial. So I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show my changed life by just selling everything that I have and give it to the poor. And I'm going to preach Jesus, man. I'm going to spread the gospel because time is short. And he's probably going to be back within three days to a week. So they're selling everything and they're giving to everybody, which is a great heart. The problem is we see in scripture, we can go all the way back to, we can go all the way back to Adam. When we don't counsel the Lord or we don't seek counsel from the Lord, sometimes we make mistakes. Abraham made mistakes. Moses made mistakes. David made mistakes. You make mistakes when you don't counsel from the Lord. You don't seek counsel from the Lord. Joshua made mistakes. And oftentimes there's people's lives at stake when that happens. And I don't see that the early church had prayed and sought God's face on, hey Lord, do you want us to sell everything that we have and give it to the poor so that we can just preach the gospel? I never see anywhere in scripture that says that they sought the Lord's face on that. Did they do it out of a right heart? Yeah, sometimes you can do the right thing. Or the wrong thing, I'm sorry. Sometimes you can do the wrong thing with the right heart. Was God mad at him? I don't see that either. I don't see that God was mad at him for doing that. But on that same note, I see that God had to use men like Paul and churches all over the region to minister to them to keep them afloat because, man, there was sacrifice. And the rest of the church banded together and helped them. But I think they learned their lesson quickly. And, and I don't think that that was a recurring thing. Hey, let's all sell everything that we have and give to the poor because Jesus is coming back at any moment. We have those guys every once in a while that will pop up. They'll say, hey, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back in four weeks, you know. So let's just sell everything that you have. Uh, give it to the church. Give your proceeds to the church. Uh, I'll take it. Can you say charlatan? 
That's a charlatan. Sell everything you have and give it to, the, give it to me. Why? Well, I don't want you to be burdened with it any longer. I'll take your burden. Charlatan. God judge them. There's certain things that I, I, I detest in life and, and, and somebody standing up behind the pulpit taking advantage of a flock is... I, I love what Jeremiah writes. The Lord writes through Jeremiah in his book about the worthless shepherd. That's a worthless shepherd. A worthless shepherd. I believe it's in Jeremiah 23, I think is where it is, or maybe chapter 9. Talking about the worthless shepherd. You want to talk about these guys that go in there and tell you to sell what you have, give to them. Hey, you want to sow your life savings because the Bible says, listen, hey, you sow this, hey, you will receive, you know, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Sell everything, give everything to me and my ministry so that I can have a jet. And you'll be blessed a hundredfold. I don't doubt that maybe some of those people have been blessed a hundredfold. Maybe not financially. But I think that there's a blessing for them. But I think that there is a judgment that is coming on those that are worthless shepherds. And they tick me off. I look at Paul <laughs> of those that, 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 that the, the teachers that were out there that were making circumcision a, a big thing and binding people under after Christ had died and risen again and it was about Christ and Him crucified. It had nothing. It was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not Jesus Christ and, and circumcision to be saved. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Whether you're circumcised or whether you're not, it doesn't matter. And Paul got so fed up with these worthless shepherds that were out there teaching people, well, yes, it's Jesus plus that he says, I wish that they would cut themselves off. Now in the Greek, in the English, that sounds, okay, I just wish that they could cut themselves off. What, from the church? or No, Paul was being pretty graphic. You're talking about circumcision, I wish you'd emasculate yourselves, is what Paul said. I wish you'd cut yourself completely off, because he was, had a righteous anger in him because of people who were worthless shepherds. And so Paul, Paul's using this gift, chapters 8 and 9, to go back and minister to the church in Jerusalem. Chapters uh, um, uh, uh, 10 through 12 in 2 Corinthians, Paul is, uh, it's his rebuttal to the mixed multitude. We talked about the mixed multitude last week. Um, by detailing all of the events in his, as an apostle in his apostleship. But as we move into this week, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, I love how Paul, Paul always starts his, his salutations or his greetings, if you will, his letters by saying, and this is, this is how he's saying, this is me and this is to. This is from and to. That's how he does. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Kai. So Paul is saying, this is from me and Timothy, and this is to the church there in Corinth. This is from all of us here in Achaia, brothers and sisters alike. But what I like about Paul is that Paul says that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There are those that think that, hey, 
I can go to a seminary to become a pastor. If I'm going to become a pastor, I've got to go to a seminary. Or I've got to go to, and, and some people oftentimes affectionately call it cemeteries. Because that's oftentimes where passionate believers go to die. And their faith just withers up in a seminary. Because they get these professors in there that begin to destroy the deity of Christ. It, it would blow your mind how many theological universities do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, do not believe in the virgin birth of, of Christ, do not believe that Jesus was, uh, uh, that he actually died and rose again the third day. He actually was just in a, in a kind of a coma-like state. And he was actually buried. And, and the two thieves that were by him actually helped him out of the tomb. This is taught. In our theological universities. And it's sad. Shouldn't you go to a theological university to learn about this? That's where a lot of people go and die. I'm not saying that all seminaries are, are bad. I'm saying that a lot of them will destroy the faith of men and women that so desperately want to serve the Lord. But people think, hey, I've got to go to a seminary in order to be a pastor. Paul says, I didn't have to go anywhere. In fact, Paul talks about that later on uh, in, in the book of, of uh, uh, Ephesians or in Galatians. But he says, listen, I didn't go and confer with those in Jerusalem. I didn't go to a school. I didn't go and do anything and try to seek approval by anybody. I went to God. God's the one that pointed, appointed me. And it's the kind of a thing, you know... It, Calvary Chapel is one of those, you know, and, and many years ago, this was kind of an enigma. Now it's not necessarily so much. But in Calvary Chapel, that, you know, a pastor would be a pastor and, and, and they'd go, well, I remember my friend, uh, my dear friend actually texted him this morning. That's where I was texting right before we started worship. My dear, one of my best friends in the world, his name is Bob Davis. He's a pastor in Post Falls, uh, Idaho. And... Uh, he is just one of the funniest guys I've ever been around in my life and loves Jesus, man. The ex-Las Vegas cop. Got a lot of stories. Um, but uh, at the Bible college one time, uh, some professor, somebody was trying to transfer some, some credits from our college to another theological university and their theological university administrator called our school and happened to get a hold of Bob and basically started grilling him on what kind of school we were. And Bob was just answering the questions to the best of his abilities, but then he began to, to sense this incredible arrogance in this man. And he knew about the university, by the way, and the university was very... It was, it was not a great university. And the guy ended up saying, I want to ask you, how many degrees do you have? He pulled the degree card. And I love Bob's answer. He goes, I got 96.7 of them, but I don't see how that pertains to anything that we're talking about. It's not about the degrees that you have that make you a pastor. And the kind of the enigma of Calvary Chapel was that, hey, here's something. God has evidently has obviously placed his hand upon this individual to minister so many people would go to Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck, God's called me to be a pastor. Oh? <laughs> yeah, what do I do? He says, pastor. 
If you have a flock, you're a pastor. (laughs) The way to be a leader is to lead. If you're not called to be, you're going to turn around and you're going to find that there's no one behind you. And I would say that I would question whether or not that was a revelation of the Holy Spirit or the pizza that you ate. But it's not about it's not about the degrees that you get. It's the will of God. Does God and and that's how people would get you know uh, anointed as pastors. You go to a Calvary Chapel, you're going to find out. Hey, listen, this guy didn't have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to be a pastor. Here's the thing. It's evident this guy has been operating in this role for a long time. And it's obvious that God's hand is upon this man. And all that we're doing is recognizing as a body of believers what God has already called this man to be. We did that with Kevin. When we anointed him. Listen, Kevin became a pastor because he was a pastor. And he operated in that aspect for many years. And all that we did as a body is that we said, yeah, that's an obvious thing that God has done in your life. So we didn't make Kevin a pastor. Who made Kevin a pastor? It was God that did it. We just, have, we just, we just, we just recognize what God did and we just go, hey, we agree with it, Lord. Yep. That's it. Paul, that's what Paul's saying. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Man didn't make me this. This is a... This is a position that God gave me. Man didn't do this. God did it. Timothy's my brother. And he's writing also. But he, there's one thing about will that I want to talk about here. And, and the Greek word is thelema. Thelema. And, and what that means is it's will, it's choice, it's inclination, it's desire, it's pleasure. It's what one wishes or has determined shall be done. It's of the purpose of God to bless mankind through Christ. It's of what God wished to be done by us. Now, here's the thing. The will of God, Philema, Philema is that God has a will for you. God has a will for me. God has a will for us. God has a choice for my life, has a plan for my life. My life's plan may not be your, is not your life's plan. However, we intersect it when we come together as a body of believers here that this part of our life I believe that God has a will for this to happen now what is God's will for us to do Kevin and I were even just talking even uh, uh, just even just today talking about man we we we've got we've got to bring a place not just on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock that really not a lot of people show up for, for prayer. But to maybe create a time during the middle of the week where we can come together and we can pray. We can just seek God's face. Why do we do that as a body? To find out what God's will is for our life. What, to find out what God's will is for us and the direction that we go. It's the reason we try to get together as a leadership. It's the reason why Kevin and I try to get together as leaders. But, but here's the thing. It's seeking God's face. It's seeking God's will. Because if we try to do things on our own, we get a problem. We have a problem. 
And so Kevin was going, hey, when, when can we do this? How can we do this? What, what will we do? What will it look like? And so we're, we're chewing on that. And I would love for you to be a part of that. And if you're not a part of that, it's not going to stop us from doing it. Kevin and I will do it. doesn't matter. We'll pray. I don't know what night it would be. I don't know even how the structure is going to be. But we're going we're gonna, to, again, we're going to talk about it. We're going to seek God's face. And we're going to find out, what is it, God, what do you want us to do? And that's what we believe that God is calling us to do. To open up the opportunity. Whether or not anybody follows, we're going to do it because God's called us to do it. One of the coolest things that I think I've ever seen, not there's a lot of cool things I've seen, but one of the, one of the most uh, instructive things that I've seen, Willie Dalgety is a pastor out in California. He and I kind of grew up together in the faith. He was much more mature than I was and was with the Lord much more serious than I was for a long time. But he's a pastor of, of a different church out in California, not a Calvary Chapel. It's called Set Free. It kind of reaches out to bikers and, and you know, kind of some hardened people, you know. But man, they love Jesus. They love to take all the old music and turn around the, the, the songs and make them into, you know, you know, Worship songs, you know, so it's it's hard for me, on the other hand, you know, when they're singing Eric Clapton's cocaine song, he's all right, he's all right, he's all right, Jesus, he's going, okay, I mean, I see it, and some people are just totally flocked to that, and I just crack up, and I've joked with Willie about it and everything, but here's the thing, God called Willie to be a pastor, and he told me, he was nervous. He says, yeah, God called me to, to be a pastor. He's, he's called me to teach. In fact, this is what he's called me to do. He's called me to rent a church building. It's a little, it's a little wedding chapel at the top of, of Ukaipa Boulevard out in California. It's a little one-room sanctuary. It's a real small, dinky place. He's, he's called me to, to rent it and put out flyers all up and down Ukaipa Boulevard. And, and to invite people in for my very first message. And so he did. He invited hundreds. <laughs> Sunday morning comes along and Willie gets in there. He's excited. We prayed about it and what have you. I couldn't make it that day. Willie shows up, opens the door. Time comes where it's supposed to happen. Maybe 10 o'clock. He's looking. Okay, 10. People should be coming in. 10, 15. Well, maybe they're politely late, 10.30. Coming along, he's going, I hear crickets. There's nobody here. In one moment, he's just shot through the heart and he's going, Lord, I, I'm devastated. You asked me to, to rent this church and to preach my first message. I don't understand. There's nobody here. And, and Willie said, I don't hear God's voice, but I felt his voice speak to me saying, you're right, Willie. I told you to rent this building and to preach your first message. I didn't tell you that anybody was going to be there. And it, it dawned on me. He's going, so you want me to get up and preach to an empty room? what I called you to do. You just do what I've called you to do and you watch what I'll do in the wake of your obedience. And so Willie gave a message to an empty room. 
And that blows, I mean, it gives me goosebumps right now even as I talk about it. Because here's the thing, not that that means that the Spirit is working or anything, but to me it's cool. He preached. You know, this guy has his own church and he's planted probably 15, 18 churches because of obedience. He was just obedient. He did what God called him to do. The will of God. The will of God. I honor that guy. I love that guy. We're not in the same vein totally, but man, when I go out to California, my wife and I have gone to his church. Love this guy. He has such a passionate heart for Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are Paul's, oftentimes they call them the Siamese twins. The Siamese twins. And before I go on, let me just quickly just ask this of you. When was the last time you ever sat down, turned the electronics off, maybe had a cup of coffee, maybe a hot chocolate, whatever it is that you drink, and sat down and, and, and really just sat down on your own quietly and said, Lord, what is your will for me? What's your will for my life? Paul understood, I'm an apostle by the will of God. What's God's will for you? What has God called you to do? What has God called you to be? What, what and who is it that God has called you to be in this world? What's God's plan for you? Well, I don't know. Well, stay in that place until you until he tells you. He's telling you. Sometimes he tells us and we don't like what he says. But you know what? He's asking for obedience. Because in that obedience, just as he did with Willie, once we learn obedience, then he can work in our life. But if we're only going to operate, if it is convenient for ourselves, if it is provides and promises a reward for us at the at the the end of the immediate reward here on earth of of our efforts if that's how we're going to go and live our life for the lord then don't even bother because it's it's not about you and it's not about me it's not about our lives it's about him and, and so paul says he says this, and I, I, I'm, let me just hurry through this saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Word mercy right there is, is a word that is uh, uh, in the Greek is oikthermos, oikthermos. And, and that means uh, compassion, pity, and mercy. And, and, and that, that word mercy, he's the father of mercies. He's the father of mercies. Compassion, pity, and mercy. How the Greeks would use this, this word for mercy, if you use this word, oikthermos, in, in Greek, your hearer would, would understand you to say, you have a deep pity or a deep compassion or a deep mercy for me it's in the bowels in which compassion resides and and, and so it's hard to translate it into our language when you go i have a a bowel movement in my spirit for you doesn't work does it the point is, 
It's something down deep. We know that feeling though, don't we? In two different ways. But I mean, in the way where true compassion is, Nancy is horrified. She's going, oh my goodness. He just said what he said. I'm sorry. I, I, I laughed when I saw that that's what it meant, you know. My bowels are moving with mercy and compassion and pity for you. But you know what? As much as we look at that and we go, oh, that's gross. No, no, let's stop for a second. Let's take the grossness out. Let's take where your brain is and where I took your brain. And I don't, I'm sorry I took you there. But let's now take it into the proper aspect. And that is this. You and I have experiences. If you haven't experienced it, you will. Where somebody has endured something. And your heart just sinks to your stomach. And you're, you get sick. You just... Oh, and it just, it just encompasses your soul. And you have this incredible... I am so sorry. I mean, even with tears. And I'm so... So sorry. That's the mercy. I am so compassionate for you. I, I, I feel such compassion for you. I am, I, am, I am moved with emotion for you. I am moved with, with a desire to minister to you. That's who God is. He's the Father of mercies. I'm sorry that he got a little gross, but... Now all of a sudden it makes sense, doesn't it? That's who God is for you. He has moved deeply for you. Deeply for you. He loves you that much. He sees. Can you imagine? God. You're, if you're a parent, you know when you see a child going through something, you're just your heart breaks and you wish you could do something and, and make it all better. But you can't. They've got to go through it themselves. I've had that happen to me halfway recently. Where I'm looking at Nathan, I'm going, I wish I could fix it, but I can't. And I know you hurt. And I know it, 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 it's, it's hard. But here's the thing. Know this. I love you. And I'm here with you. And, I, I am, and, and, and as you look at that, and you just go, whoa. I wish that I could help him. And I would. And in some instances, you know, in some instances in this situation, if he would have asked for help, I would have helped. But he felt, ah, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work through this. I'm, I'm, I'm working through this issue. And he is. Proud of him. Here's the thing. That's God when he looks at you and I. We have the Lord that we can run to, the Father of mercies, the Father who has moved deeply with our lot in life, the things that we are dealing with in life. He wants to move in our life and ah, my, uh, and, and moved for you because I love you so compassionately. And sometimes we go, I got this, I, I, I'm handling it. Or no, I, I don't want to do it your way, I'll do it my way. But it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of moved with emotion for you, moved with compassion and pity and mercy for you. And He's the God of all comfort. One, He comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with we which ourselves 
are comforted by God. Now, understand, there's a couple of words here that I, I just am going to finish with here. But the word comfort and tribulation or troubles. The, the, the word troubles are... The, the word is thlipsis, and, and in the Greek is thlipsis. And, and, and what it means is it's an outside pressure that is almost unbearable. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Where pressure is so hard and you're just going, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know where to go with this. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I am so pressured. I am so beaten i am so troubled over this and and here's what what paul's saying that god comforts us in that time that is the god who is moved with compassion and mercy deeply for you he wants to comfort you in those times of pressure but but here's the cool thing paul says he wants to comfort us look at this He's the God and Father, uh, the Father of mercies, the Lord of all, or the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with we which ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our comfort or consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation or comfort and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation or comfort and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. Ten times Paul uses in three, four verses the word comfort. Comfort, 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 comfort. Now what does that mean? Comfort as in sitting back on a you know lazy boy relaxing comfort? No, that's not what that's talking about. That's talking about enduring incredible trial, enduring incredible pressure, enduring what you endure in your life. Now listen, pressure on one person might be crushing to another person. You might be able to endure something that somebody else just cannot even come close to enduring. And when you hear that they're struggling with something and you go, well, come on, man, just... Put on your big girly panties and, and go. Let's come on. You can do this. Come on. That's not that big of a deal. But to them, it's huge. It's huge. It, it's, 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 it's too high for them. It's too big for them. It's too strong. It's too big of a mountain for them to handle. But for you, you can handle it. But for you, it's something totally different that is crushing to you. God has moved with that compassion and mercy and pity for us in those times. And he wants to give us this comfort in those times. And Paul says, listen, we've endured all of this stuff. And he's going to talk about how he's, you know, how they're in, in a, uh, you know, they're burdened beyond me measure there in Asia. So that they despaired even of life there in verse 8. 
We have the sentence of death in and of ourselves that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Basically what Paul's saying, hey, hey, listen, if this costs us our life and God still had a plan for us, he'd raise us even from the dead if he wants us to complete the project that he wanted us to do. But our job is to do the project, is to do what it is that God's called us to do. We're going to be steadfast in the things that God's called us to do, no matter what, even if it costs us our life. He says in verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. But you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And so here's what he's saying. You guys shared in our sufferings. You shared in that pressure. You shared in those great tribulations. You, you shared in those incredible mounting odds against us. I believe Paul's talking back, and you can go back and look it up. In Acts chapter 19, it talks about how Paul and, and uh, um, some brothers there are, are ministering, and, and they're in Thessalonica, and, and they're, they're, uh, they're basically preaching Christ, but it's putting people out of business, all these false gods makers, putting them out of business. And they want to pull them out of their house, and they tried to find Paul to kill him. But Paul wasn't around at the time, or else he was hiding or something. I don't know. But they pulled a couple other guys out of the house, beat them, you know. And not in Thessalonica, but in Ephesus. I'm sorry, it was in Ephesus. Because they were screaming out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Just madness. There were some people that were screaming that, and they're going, Hey, why are you doing this? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody else is saying it, so I'm saying it. That's, how, that's what oftentimes when you... When you, when you muster up a, a frenzy of people, some people just jump in and they won't even know why they're jumping in. They're just jumping in because everybody else jumps in. Here's the thing. It took hours to calm that crowd down, but they wanted to rip them apart limb by limb. They understood that the cost of Christ, the cost of living the Christian life in Ephesus potentially and probably was going to take their life from them. And yet, that's where God called them to be. Are you willing to get up every day knowing that, hey, maybe today my life is going to be required of me and it's going to be, I'm going to be killed because of my faith, because of my walk with the Lord, because I'm doing what Christ has called me to do? It might take my life. But God has the ability to raise me back to life. Paul, I think it happened to Paul one time. I believe Paul got stoned in the Greek sense of the word, Jewish sense of the word. He got stoned to death. And I believe that the disciples that were around him prayed him back to life. But he was drug out of a city for preaching Christ and they stoned him to death out there. And he's got this pile of stones and as they're pulling the pile of stones off of Paul and they're praying for him, his battered body. And life came back into those bones and into the lungs that had been sapped because of the stoning. What did Paul do? The Bible says that he got back up and he walked back into the same city that just cast him out and killed him. He had a job to do, man. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Gang, listen. As a Christian, life does not belong to you. Life does not belong to me. 
Paul's saying, hey, we, we are, are despairing of our lives. But you know what? It doesn't matter because if we die, Christ can even raise us back to, from, from the dead. So it's not about us. It's about what does Christ want us to do? The moment that we, this group in here, we're not big, but we, we can be incredibly strong if we carry on and we understand, if we can grasp this truth, that your life is not your own. Do you know that depression would plummet in the Christian community. If we are depressed in our life, it's because things aren't working out the way that we thought that they should work out. And the thing is, is that, and I know that this is, this is hard because man, if you're struggling with a depression, you're struggling with, with, with even thoughts of suicide or things like that. Know this. It is something that as a pastor, I want to comfort you with these words. God knows where you are. And God is moved with compassion and pity and mercy for you. But he's just, he, he's not going to force you to look at him, but he wants you to look at him. As you're pressured to a point where I don't know if I can take one more ounce upon the weight that is upon my life. I don't know. I think I'll just end it all. Listen, you still own a portion of your life. You've not yet come to that place where I said, where you say, it's not about me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so if death comes, as Paul says, and he still has a plan for me, he has the ability to raise me back from the dead. But until my time is over, doing what God has called me to do on the earth, I am nothing less than superhuman. And I want you to hear that especially in the days of DC Comics and Marvel. Because you know what? You and I are superhuman. You know that nothing can take your life until God's done with it. And then, when God's done with your life and your plan for your life, there's no one that can save it. No one can give you life. So until you're done you're superhuman. You're indestructible. You cannot be killed. God has a plan. Are you going to follow it? Now, it doesn't mean that God wants us to be careless. He wants us to seek his face, right? So Paul's saying, the will of God, the will of God. Seek God's face. What does God want to do in your life? Yeah, but it costs me going, getting drug out of a city and being stoned to death. Yeah, Paul goes, yeah, I did that. Did that. Bought that t-shirt. Happened to me too. I have a feeling if you took the shirt off of Paul, you'd see a body that was riddled with scar. And yet, he said, man, I do not count my life worthy. To be compared with the suffering, that these these sufferings are worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Romans chapter 8. He says, man, it's not about today. It's not about tomorrow. It's about what has God called me to do? God has a plan and a purpose for me. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And the word comfort there is is this. The Greek word there, and it's going to, some of you, a little light bulb is going to go on above your head. I'm going to look at it here in a second. The word comfort is paraclesis. What does that sound like? The word paraclete, right? The word paraclete. What is a paraclete? 
Huh? Paralyzed. What? Paralyzed. Paralyzed. Okay. Well, not really, but para, in, in the Greek, the word paraclete is comforter. It's the exact word Jesus used for the term of the Holy Spirit coming to reside in us. I will, guys, I will not leave you orphans. If I go away, I'll send another helper. I'll send a paraclete to you. And he will comfort you. He will be with you. He'll show you the way. He'll be there. So how is it that God feels this comfort? How, how is it that he feels this movement of compassion and mercy and pity? How is it that he, he wants to come and, and give you counsel through the pressure of your life to give you joy even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of pressure, even in the midst of, of thoughts of, of, of suicide? How and what is it that he wants to do? I am moved with compassion, God would say. I am moved to help you through this season of your life. Not so that it might get easier per se, but so that you might be with me through the midst of this whole process. I remember it was Don McClure that is a pastor out in California. I don't know where he is now. I don't know where he is, but he's a pastor. He's a guy that I've had be a part of my life at times in my life. And here's the thing. He was jogging one morning and he was pretty tired jogging on a treadmill he went downstairs, you know, got done pretty quick, you know, because he was too tired, went downstairs. And he, after he went to the, you know, restroom and kind of combed his hair and what have you, went downstairs and his wife, Jean, looks at him and says, Don, your eyes are bloodshot. He goes, yeah, that's just the funniest thing in the world. I, now, it's kind of blurry. She goes, well, you got to go get that thing checked out. And so he goes and gets it checked out. The doctor, he went by himself, went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, yeah, um, yeah, well, you had a stroke. He goes, I had a stroke. Yeah, you had a stroke. Well, why are my eyes bloodshot? He goes, well, because it affected your optic nerves. And here's the thing, you're going blind. I'm not going blind. I can kind of still see. It's a little blurry. He goes, I know. It'll just get worse until it stops. And wherever it stops, that's where it's going to be. Well, what do I... Okay, so that's how it's going to be? He goes, yeah. What do I do? And so he gave him some instructions. So Don went home. Gene says, hey, what? What did the doctor say? I don't know. Is, you know, he did like a guy would say, you know, told me I'll be fine. Well, no, but what, what did he say? Why? Well, he, he said I had a stroke. Well, get in the car. We're going back there. He says I'm going blind, and when it kind of stops, it'll, 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 it'll level off, and that's where I'll be able to see from now on. She goes, you and I are going back there, and we're going to talk to this doctor, and we're going to tell him, and so she goes back and she gets in this doctor's face and she's going, well, doctor, what happened? Well, he had a stroke. Well, it's happening. He told her the exact same thing that Don told her. And, and Jean's going, oh, but we're going we're gonna to change his diet. We're going to change his diet. We're going to eat only grains and this. And, and he goes, you know, that might be a good thing. But, you know, the effects are still going to be the same. Well, yeah, but we're going to slow down on the jogging. We're going to have a different exercise re- regime for a uh, regiment for him. And he's going to do this or he's going to do that. And, and he goes, you know, ma'am, that's, that's probably pretty good too. Um, but this is still, it's irreversible. I mean, this is what it is. She goes, no, you don't understand. He, and she started giving him some more. And, and the doctor actually said to her, Don says, he says, listen, lady. <laughs> probably didn't say it that way. Listen, lady, what part of forever don't you understand? This is how he's going to be. 
And there's nothing I can do. And there's nothing you can do. I don't care. Eating better, losing weight, doing whatever. It's not going to get better. And he said, Don says, while they were over there arguing and my, do- my wife was trying to tell a doctor his business and, and what things should be going on, I was sitting over there and, I w- and it's like I had this little bit of a, not, you know, there wasn't a vision in the room, but I just had this vision in my head, in my spirit. My eyesight's going. And there were these doors that were there. There was a door of opportunity. There was a door of no. There was a door of yes. There was a door of absolutely. They all had handles on it. I was in this room and all these doors had all these titles above them. But then there was a door that said never again. That was the word, that the, the, the phrase that kind of hung in Don's mind. Never again will you be able to see like you ever did. And he says, when I looked at the door that said never again, Jesus was standing at that door with his hand on the knob. I could have looked and gone through any of these other doors, but Jesus had his hand on this knob and it was like he was, had his hand on this knob and he's going, you want to go through this door with me? I'm going through this door. You want to go? And he says, I had to make a decision right there. Would I go through any other door without Jesus? Or would I go through the door that Jesus is going through simply to be with Jesus? Because I chose that, that door. Never again. Now, I, I don't know how that, all that's going to work. He did talk about how he couldn't drive anymore. And so his wife had to drive him everywhere he went. And so as he was sitting in the right seat, he'd go, ah! She goes, would you stop doing that? How long will you keep doing that? He goes, for the rest of my life. That's what you did to me. <laughs> you know. Here's the thing. So there's kind of some fun in it, you know. But here's the thing. He said, I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where Jesus is. Gang, if there's anything that I can say here, you know, here's a paraclesis. It's a calling near. It's a summons for. It's it's an importation, supplication, entreaty. It's exhortation, admonition, encouragement, consolation, comfort, solace, which affords comfort or refreshment. It's the Holy Spirit, God working in you to bring you to a place where He is. It's where I feel my pity and my compassion and my mercy for you. I want to bring you to that place where you understand that there's not anyone in this universe that has ever lived that loves you more than I do. There is no one, including your spouse, including your kids, including your parents, that love you even close to as much as I love you. Are you willing to walk through whatever door I'm going through simply to be with me? Regardless of how it might affect your physical life here on the earth. Are you willing? Because it's in that difficult day that I'm going to be seen in others as you allow me to be seen in your own life. That's what Paul was saying. He says, 
as the sufferings of Christ, verse 5, abound in us, so also our comfort also abounds through Christ. And if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and your salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings. You may have to end you going through the things that you go through. A fellowship of suffering. Just this last week, I was talking to Jeremy, and I, I, I hope I'm not breaking a, a confidence here, and that's one of the bad things of, of, of not asking for permission before you go. I'm going to ask for forgiveness here in a second. Um, Jeremy was talking how there was somebody at work that came through that had lost somebody close to him. This person was broken, and... and and, uh, you know, Jeremy's trying to minister. And, and he said something along the lines of, I, I understand how you feel. And this person said, how do you know how I feel? And he says, well, it was just five, six years ago that my mom was hit by a, was hit by a car and she was taken from us. Is at that moment that a door opened for ministry. That a door opened for ministry. And it caused Jeremy to get allergies called this woman to get allergies. But here's the thing. That door, I think it was a woman, I don't know if it was a woman or a man, but whoever it was, it, it caused this person to open up, to be able to be ministered. Gang, know this. It's not about the 70, 80, 90 years that we are here on this earth. That's not what, this isn't the reward. The reward is in heaven. When we struggle through, when we get pressured when the things come down deep into our lives and hard into our lives they're not because God's there to punish us they're there because God is working in us in order to move in us and change us to see him high and lifted up to see him as the father of mercies and the God of all comfort so that when you can recognize that, when you can live in that, when you can actually grasp that and hold and embrace that and hold on to it with everything that you have, what's going to happen is that, as Paul says, it's for your comfort, but that you would also be able to comfort others with it. Because you know what? We're all going to go through times in our life. It doesn't mean that we're all, gonna, that we're all going to in, in, suffer an incredible tragedy in our life. But you know what? If a tragedy comes in our life, God will be there and you will experience God in a way that you could never experience in any other way. And I know that there are some of you in this room that have experienced incredible tragedy and you know God in a way that maybe I don't know Him. And I don't understand Him. But you do. And I can't sit here and go, hey, I know what you feel. Because I don't. I don't know what you feel. You do. What I'm learning from you is that if you're trusting in the Lord, I see another success story, Lord, even in the midst of it all, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of trial. You've shown yourself strong. You've shown yourself faithful. 
You've shown yourself to be the God of comfort and the God of mercies. What can happen in my life that God will not still be God? And for all eternity, we're going to find, we're going to learn that. We're going to see that. We're going to see it unfold before us in heaven, gang. Be comforted in this, I pray. I pray that as you and I, we see that sometimes we will go through difficult times in our life in order to minister to others. There's so many different stories I could tell about that. We're out of time, but here's the thing. We have got to recognize it is not about us anymore. It's about him. Because when we do, all of a sudden, there is a grip, an anchor that depression has on us that is released. Those, those thoughts of, of maybe even suicide, they're released because you know what? You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't even own you anymore. You don't have the right to take what is not yours any longer because you willfully gave it up to the Lord. Now, if that's the case, know that he is the God of comfort. He is the God that is desiring to do a work in you. But moreover, he's not just doing a work in you, but he's doing a work in someone else that he's going to bring into your path. And that person desperately needs to see God. And it may be through you. I am not a strong proponent not, uh, uh, proponent of, and I can't even remember who, who said it, but somebody very well known, and I, I forgot to look this up, but this is a thought that came to me on the way in here today um, while I was driving in this morning. There was a pastor, very well-known pastor, that I highly, re- highly respect, that used the phrase, and many pastors have used that phrase, God will never thoroughly use someone until uh, God thoroughly wounds that one. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm not a Christian and someone tells me this, or if I'm a Christian that hasn't endured an incredible tragedy or agony in my own life, what you're telling me is that what I have to look forward to in order for God to use me is that someone that's precious to me is going to have to be taken out. I'm thinking, I don't, I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I, I don't know that, that I, I embrace that statement. Now, does God use people? Yeah. But that's not the only way. There have been many men and women who have been used that mightily by God that didn't have to endure some incredible tragedy in their life. The point is, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And I'm ending with this. We are owned by the Lord. And if we are owned by the Lord and we are living for Him, all we have to do is look at, the, at, at Him as God. Who is he? What is his character? Who is he? Is he evil? Is he mean? Does he intentionally do things in our life to, to, to screw our lives up simply so that he can go, ha, 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 ha. 
I'm God, you're not. Look what I can do. That's not God's character. God always has a plan, and his plan is for the glory of the Lord. It's to save. You want to know what God's will is? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if that means that he might allow us to go through some suffering, might allow us to endure a time of where we think we're depressed, give it to the Lord. Lord, if this is where you want your, your vessel to be right now, so be it. May I be a glory to you in the midst of it. Help me to be a light in this darkness. God, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm hurt. But Lord, I know it's not about me anymore. It's about you. And so Lord, I give this lost and loneliness and darkness up to you because it's not mine to hold on to. This is your vessel. You take it. I can't bear it any longer. Be my God of comfort. Be my God of moving emotion towards me, of pity and compassion and mercy. And do your work through me. May I be a light in this dark world for the rest of my breathing days on the planet Earth. Let me be a light for you. Gang, that's what I want us to be as Christians. Does that make sense? Father, thank you for today. And I know I've taken extra time today, but Lord, to, to recognize our life is not our own. It's yours. The trials come in our life and difficulties do come into our life. Not simply to accomplish one purpose, but Lord, many purposes. Help us not to, to throw a, a wrench in the monkey works. In the machine, a wrench in the machine to, to, to mess up the gears because we begin to focus on ourselves and how it affects us. Lord, give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit, your paraclete, your comforter, Lord, give us the ability to look beyond ourselves. And in context, look at the grand scheme of things. Lord, you are using this in my life for your ultimate glory. I may not understand the reasons today. I may not ever understand the reasons on this breathing earth, but Lord, one day, I'm going to see how you use this difficulty, this pressure, this thlipsis, this tribulation, this suffering in my life in order to save that person over there. That that person would see you living through my life, through the darkest time of my life. And that is what caused he or she to look up finally to see you, Lord, there, moved with compassion, mercy, and pity, desiring to comfort, desiring to give them salvation. That's what Paul's been saying. Comfort and salvation. Comfort and salvation. Comfort and salvation. Lord, that's the plan. Help us to endure everything in life knowing that our lives are not our own, but they're yours. Help us to modify the way that we think that life is not about our feel-good story. It's about you. It's about ultimately your overall plan. And Lord, we will experience joy on this earth when we see you high and lifted up, Lord. When we see your plan lived out fully through our lives. 
God, give us a focus of what our life is to be, wrapped up in you and you alone, and not about us. God, forgive us when we take the driver's wheel away from you and we begin to navigate our own life. Make those times few and far between. And quickly, Lord, remove us. Give us the wherewithal to get out of that front seat and get in the trunk, Lord, and let you drive so that we can live for you and your ultimate purpose in our life for this life that you've given to us. All the days of the breath of our life that remain on this earth, Lord, that they would bring you glory in spite of whatever circumstances we are in. In light or in in darkness, Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.